the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy. And I am the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. Well, we're going to work through the book of Ruth. We're doing this on Sunday mornings, and I thought it would be good to do this for the radio program as well. And we're going to do it chapter by chapter. So chapter one is going to be the first thing we take a look at. We're going to call this Experiencing Hardship and Heartbreaking. I hope you can glean a lot from this, considering how things are going on in the world right now. I thought this would be a good place for us to study, to reflect on, because I think we're going to be able to apply a lot of these things to our own lives, uh, of what's going on in in the world. Doesn't it seem chaotic, like it's all out of control? Is God really in control? Then, Well, yes, he is. Yes, he is. And that's the purpose, I think, that we we see here in the book of Ruth. That's also the purpose of Daniel. Uh, God's in control. Even though it looks like uh, they're losing, God's in control. The book of Revelation, even though it looks like in the world we're losing, God's in control. We, We have already won. Just stand fast. Hold firm. So let's jump right into it. And kind of like what we were saying, have you ever had a bad day? Well, yeah, we all have bad days. And so uh, let's uh, let's have a, a little fun by by starting with some you know you're having a bad day when comments right you know you're having a bad day when your birthday cake collapses from the weight of the candles bad day right <laughs> you know you're having a bad day when your twin sister forgets your birthday you know you're having a bad day. When your four-year-old tells you that it's almost impossible to flush a grapefruit down the toilet. Oh, man. Sometimes that's the way things go, and you have a bad day. And sometimes it's not just a bad day, it's a bad series of days. Or it's a bad week, bad weeks, bad years. And that's the way it was for Naomi here in the book of Ruth who is a central character. And so we're going to start this four-week journey working through the book of Ruth. And it's a story that shows how, as the old hymn says, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. It's for people who wonder where God is when one tragedy after another attacks their faith. It's a story for people who wonder whether a life of integrity in tough times, is it worth it? And it's a story for people who can't imagine that anything great could ever come of their ordinary lives 
of faith. So here in Ruth 1.1, it tells us that during the time of Judges, there was a famine in the land. Now, this was a 400-year period after Israel entered the promised land under Joshua and before there were any kings in Israel. The book of Judges comes just before Ruth, if you didn't know, here in our Bibles. And you can see from the, the very last verse of Judges what sort of period it was. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It was a dark, bleak time in Israel as a difficult cycle repeated itself over and over again. The people would sin. God would send enemies against them. The people would cry for help. God would be merciful and raise up a judge to deliver them. And again and again, the people rebelled. And from all outward appearances, God's purposes for righteousness and glory in Israel were failing. One of the things the Book of Ruth does for us is to give us a glimpse of the hidden work of God. Even during the worst of times. So in the book of Judges, we see how things just get worse, worse, and worse. And then the book of Ruth, his very next book, it shows us there was a glimmer of hope. God was already working behind the scenes. Now, when we look at the very last verse of Ruth, chapter 4, verse 22, we learn that the child born to Ruth and Boaz is Obed. Obed becomes the father of Jesse. And Jesse became the father of David, the king, who leads Israel to her greatest heights of glory. One of the main messages of Ruth is that God is at work even in the worst of times. And even when God's people are not faithful, God is faithful. And is at work carrying out his plan. So, When you or I think God is far from us or has turned against us, the truth is that he is laying a foundation for redemption, restoration, and blessing in our lives. Consider the verse from that hymn. God moves in a mysterious way. It says, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence he hides a smiling face. I think that's the message of Ruth. And let's see how this unknown author, whoever it is that wrote the book of Ruth, teaches it to us, shall we? So, the first five verses of the book of Ruth describe the great hardship. Hardship and heartbreak that Naomi experienced. Let's look here. Uh, Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, it says, Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, um, the Paphorites of Bethlehem in Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of the one was Orpha, and the name of the other Ruth. 
and they lived there about 10 years. Then both Malan and Chilion also died. And the women or and the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. Man. I tell you, those first five those five verses cover a period of ten years and describe hardship and heartbreak. First, Naomi and her family experienced a famine and decided to move to a foreign country. Now that's that's a difficult thing to do in our day and age, but back then that's even more difficult. That's that's a huge thing to do. Number two, her husband dies. We're not sure when he died, uh, after they went to Moab or, or what, but he dies. That's not good. Then her sons decide to marry Moabite women. And then both Naomi's sons died without leaving any children. So in summary, she was left without her husband, without her two sons, and without grandchildren in a foreign land. That's rough. And before we move on in the story, I want to I want to pause and, and think about the choices and consequences that Naomi and her family made. I don't want to insinuate that we can draw a, um, a direct line from their disobedience to their suffering. But I do want to caution us about taking paths that are in direct disobedience to God. It's always good to have choices. But when we choose to disobey God, we don't get to choose the consequences of our choice. Elimelech made a choice that looked good on paper. I'm sure he thought, hey, you know, there's food in Moab. Let's go there. It was a choice that put bread in his belly and in the bellies of his wife and his two sons. And for a while, I'm sure it looked like the right choice. But it had life-changing consequences. The problem with this choice was that it violated God's word. Eli Melech and his family were Jews who lived in Bethlehem, Israel. And it's ironic because the Hebrew word Bethlehem means house of bread. But he decided to leave the house of bread. Now, yeah, there was a famine. Uh, but you know, we'll get to that later. But uh, Elimelech's name even means, my God is king. So he obviously had religious parents. He should have known that God's word prohibited Jews from having anything to do with Moabites. They weren't supposed to be friends with them. And marrying them was strictly forbidden. And yet, Elimelech not only moved his family to Moab, but his sons married Moabitesses. <laughs> We must realize that any time we think that God is leading us to do something that is against Scripture, it's not God leading us. It's not. If we feel led to take a job that would compromise our faith, it is not God leading us. If we feel led to move in with someone before marriage, it is not God leading us. If we feel led to marry someone of the same sex, that is not God leading us. If we feel led to take revenge in our own hands, that's not God leading us. Right? Right. We, that voice we hear leading us to do what God forbids, it's probably our own voice. It could be Satan leading us astray, but it's our desires if we're following after it. It's definitely not God's voice 
Satan is the roaring lion who is looking for someone to devour. Satan is known to disguise himself as an angel of light. His goal, his purposes, is to kill and destroy. So we must not be fooled into listening to Satan's voice and following his lead. As I said, I'm not trying, I'm not trying to draw a straight line here between their sinful choices and their tragic suffering. But we need to realize that there are benefits of obedience and consequences of disobedience. That's why in the book of Ephesians, Paul quotes from the Old Testament saying that children, listen to your parents. If you do, it'll go well. You'll live long. That's a general statement in that they have experience. They're Christians. They know the word of God. And if you follow these things, God put these things out there for your benefit. He wants us to live and enjoy life and choose him. So, okay, let's go back to Naomi's place of darkness and desperation here. So where is she? She's found herself far from home, without a husband uh, or sons, no grandchildren to support her. She was about as helpless and vulnerable as anyone could be. But this is where the story of God's faithful love for her begins. And we see this faint beacon of hope in verse 6. In verse 6, we learn that while in Moab, Naomi heard that the Lord had paid attention to his people's need by providing them food. She hears rumors that her homeland, Israel, is doing well. So God is helping his people by sustaining their harvest and blessing them with rich returns. Okay, so she sets her sights on going home, tracing back the journey she traveled years ago. However, this time, her journey is fraught with so much more danger. When she traveled to Moab, she came as a younger woman flanked by three healthy men. For her return, older widow with only younger women to watch out for her. The three women traveling alone would have been an easy target for all kinds of trouble. Slave traders, robbers, worse, frequented their route home. And people disappeared all the time on that journey. And they were probably without horse or donkey to make the trip easier and quicker. As they began their journey back, Naomi decided to encourage her daughter-in-laws to stay with their own people. Here's what it says, Ruth chapter 1, verses 8 to 15. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return, each of you, to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with me. We are, as you have dealt with the dead and with me, may the Lord grant you. Excuse me. May the Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, "No, but we will surely return with you to your people." But Naomi said, "Return, my daughters. Why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Return, my daughters." Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I said I have hope, if I should even have a husband tonight and also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is harder for me than for you. For the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Then she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. 
Man, tender scene here. I'm sure a lot of crying, rightfully so. These three women were brought together through marriage. They had suffered greatly together. Staying together would have been uh, hard, but parting would have been a different kind of hard. Naomi gave some persuasive reasons for them to leave. One good reason had to do with Naomi's misery. Her life was too bitter, She wanted, and she wanted something better for them. Another good reason for them to leave was the fact that she had no other sons for them to marry. And they surely wouldn't want to wait for her to birth a future husband for them. That, that was a, a custom of the Israelites, that if a brother died without children, then another brother would marry the widow and have children on behalf of his brother. But Naomi had no other sons for them to marry, and probably never would. She thought it was hopeless for Ruth and Orpha to remain committed to the family name. But Naomi failed to remember that there were other relatives who might perform the duty of a brother, including Boaz. We can learn an important lesson from Naomi when we have decided that God is against us, we usually exaggerate our hopelessness, don't we? We become so bitter we can't see the rays of light peeping out around the clouds. It was God who broke the famine, wasn't it? And opened the way home. It was. It was God who preserved a kinsman, a redeemer, to continue Naomi's line. And it was God who compels Ruth to stay with Naomi. But Naomi was so embittered by God's hard providence that she lost hope in God's merciful work in her life. Orpha decided to take Naomi up on her offer, kissed her goodbye, but Ruth clung to her and delivered one of the most amazing pledges of committed love in all history. Verses 16 and 17. Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go... I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and therefore I will be, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. The more we ponder these words, the more amazing they become. Ruth's commitment to her destitute mother-in-law, astonishing. First, it includes leaving her own family and her own homeland behind. Second, it means as far as she knows, a life of widowhood and childlessness awaits her. Third, it means going to an unknown land with a new people and new customs and new language. It was a commitment to never return home, not even after Naomi dies. And you remember when Naomi and her family left? It was to find a better home, the better what they had. Here, Ruth is leaving a good place for what an unknown, you know, a, a harder life, it looks like. And she, she chose it. That's amazing. See? Do you see the difference? Trust. There's a trust in God here, I believe. Because what else does she say there in verse 16? Your God will be my God. Keep in mind that Naomi had just said in, ver- in verse 13, the Lord's hand has turned against me. Her experience of God's God was bitterness, but in spite of this, Ruth forsakes her religious heritage, makes the God of Israel her God. Maybe she had that commitment years ago. We don't know. But here in Ruth, we have an example of a godly person. I can see God looking down at that and saying, that's the kind of heart and compassion I'm looking for in Israel. That's it. 
Someone who through faith in God sees beyond the present present bitterness and, and insecurities uh, and comforts of the world and sees God. Someone who has courage to venture into the unknown and unfamiliar. Someone who, with a radical commitment to their God-given relationship. May we all be more like Ruth. Naomi was unable to persuade Ruth to abandon her and return to her own home. So together they return. Ruth uh, chapter 1, verses 18 to 22. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. So they both went until they came to Bethlehem. And when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and with her Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. What do you think of Naomi's theology here? I would take her theology any day over the sentimental views of God, which dominate much of the what's called the evangelical Christianity today, especially among the name-it-claim-it folks who say that Following Jesus is all about health and wealth. Naomi was unshaken and sure about three things. God exists, God is sovereign, and God has afflicted her. The problem with Naomi is that she has forgotten the story of Joseph, who also went into a foreign country. He was sold as a slave. He was framed by an adulteress, put in prison, and had every reason to say with Naomi, the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me, but he did not. He kept his faith in God and testified to his own brothers. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. That's Genesis 50, verse 20. Naomi was right to believe in a sovereign almighty God who governs the affairs of nations and families and gives each day its part of pain and pleasure. But she needed to open her eyes to the signs of God's merciful purposes. It was God who took away the famine. And notice the delicate touch of the hope at the end of the verse. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. If only Naomi could have seen what was going, that was going to mean for her and Ruth. And if only Naomi could have had her eyes open to Ruth. What a gift. What a gift and blessing she was. As Naomi and Ruth stood before the people of Bethlehem, Naomi declared, the Lord has brought me back empty. Empty. That's not true. Who was standing there with her? Ruth. What did Ruth think about that? What about chopped liver? You know, come on. Now, obviously, Naomi wouldn't have said this if she could see that in Ruth she would gain a grandson, and and really she had some there was supporting her. It's like that song: "Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face." Now, hopefully, next week we'll get into chapter two. You know, there in chapter 2, Boaz will say this to Ruth in verse 12, May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. This story of Naomi and Ruth starts out with deep despair as they experience a series of bad days. But there is a slow opening of the curtain that brings hope as it reveals more and more of God's plan and ultimately ends with a very happy ending. If Ruth had been brought into the family by sinful choices, it is doubly astonishing that she is made the grandmother of David 
in the ancestor of Jesus Christ. We must never think that the sin of our past means there is no hope for our future. If our future looks hopeless, then we must learn from Ruth that God is right now at work to give us a future and a hope. Our job is to trust God by waiting patiently and obediently. As that hymn says, The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. The greatest blessing of all come through Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. How cool is it that God brought Naomi back home to Bethlehem with Ruth in tow? How wonderful that years later the young David would be shepherding the sheep in the hills around Bethlehem. And amazingly, years after that, other shepherds in those hills of Bethlehem would hear the words of angels announcing the arrival of the Messiah, the Christ. And they would find the baby wrapped in clothes, laying in a manger there in Bethlehem who would grow up and eventually be hung on the cross with the sins of the world on his shoulders. What started out on Friday for them as a bad day, truly the worst day of all, three days later became the best and the symbol of hope and salvation for all time. It may seem like things are in pretty bad shape for us and for our world right now. Maybe you're having a bad day, a bad week, A bad month, bad year, bad life. Don't lose faith. There is cause for hope. And that hope's name is Jesus. If we will put ourselves under his wings of refuge, then we will receive God's full rewards. Jesus said, for God so loved the world. Jesus said, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Peter said, repent and be baptized. Paul wrote, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's get in him. Let's stay in him. And no matter the hardships, no matter the heartbreaks we experience in this realm, for abundant and eternal blessings are found in Christ alone. It helps us to see the future and the hope that God has for us. It may look like things are bad, but we won in Christ. Don't believe the lies of Satan. Don't believe them. Keep your eyes focused on things above, where Christ is at the right hand of the Father. I want to go ahead and close things out as we're coming to the uh, uh, end here of uh, our program. I thank you all for, for being here. Next week we'll get to chapter 2. But think about this. Pray about this. Elections coming up. Folks, vote. Vote. It's important. God's watching. He is giving us an opportunity. Let's make the most of these opportunities. Redeem the time. Think about that this week. Thank you, and God bless. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. To hear this program again, go to FamilyValuesRadio1010.com and click on the podcast page and find this program and many others right there on FamilyValuesRadio1010.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.